Hey, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. My day job is as a coach, helping people live better lives. I coach executives and leaders. I coach entrepreneurs and I coach civilians who are looking to improve their lives, their health, their relationships. Basically, it allows me to do what I didn't think was possible, which is to help people completely erase bad habits and different ways of being, erase negative feelings and replace them with positive ones rather than just help people develop new strategies to compete with the old ones or new thought patterns to debate the old thought patterns. And I'm looking for people to work with. And I have reduced my rates a lot so that I can just get as much practice in as I can. So I am going to raise them back up to my normal fees. But right now I just need a lot, a lot of practice and feedback and I have teachers and mentors. So if you're interested in getting my best coaching better than I've ever done at a big discount, email me hj at plantyourself.com. So let's get on with the show. Over the last three years, I've had a number of conversations about COVID-19 with my friend Michael Rothberg, physician and one of the lead researchers at the Cleveland Clinic. And we've discussed the evolution of understanding and knowledge and the scientific debates around COVID-19. Today, we're talking about one patient's experiences. And full disclosure, we're not entirely sure that he got COVID because there's no way to prove it because he got it in December 2019, about four months before it was supposed to have landed here. And... The reason we think it was COVID is that it turned into what looked a lot like long COVID. And so today we're going to be speaking kind of experientially and phenomenologically, phenomenologically, got it second time, with Roger Talbot, who's a friend of mine, lives in New York City uh, in his 70s and a retired minister. And we talk about his journey to health and then how the 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 kind of legs of health were kicked out from under him and what it was like to exist with what looks like long COVID for months and months and months and the various strategies that he tried and then moving into kind of sort of extreme plant-based sports, um, whole food plant-based eating, and then two stints of pretty intensive water fasting at True North in California. So we're going to cover all that. the main thing I think is just what a big heart Roger has and the wisdom that he has accrued and how he learned and grew from the experience, both in terms of, spoiler alert, really kind of bouncing back after the second water fast, but also the ways in which he came to grips with it as something that might not be defeatable and what we, what we all can learn Um, from the fact that we are mortals and that life doesn't go on forever and that good health is not guaranteed forever. So I hope you really enjoy. Um, So without further ado, Roger Talbot, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Well, thank you, Howie. It's good. It's really good to see you. Yeah, likewise. So I'd love for you just we're going to talk about COVID and long COVID and the things that you've done and you've learned and experienced. Um, but first, let's let's I'd love to find out like who you were before COVID. You had to give us a, a, brief, <laughs> a brief bio. 
Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I was a United Methodist minister for 45 years and uh, retired in uh, 2017. And, um, I, and, and started really rebuilding my body uh, about the time I retired. I, I had, uh, especially in the last uh, decade or so, it was a really uh, stressful time, and I uh, I became uh, I, I was dealing with irritable bowel syndrome, especially, and uh, and and really uh, during the time after the years after I retired, um, I was learning about how to deal with that particular thing, and and. By 2019, um, my wife Jackie and I had moved from Ohio, where we had lived uh, for most of those 45 years, um, to uh, New York City, close to our son uh, and his family. And we, uh, uh, and I really began to uh, rebuild my body. I joined a gym. I was I was uh, learning to run and uh, even thinking about um, competing with some in some 5Ks uh, in the fall of 2019. I was thinking, well, maybe in the spring mm. I could I could get to a point where I wouldn't be totally embarrassed to run in my age group. <laughs> and can I ask how old you are? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm almost seventy. I'll be seventy five in August. Gotcha. And so, um, so, so yeah. And I felt good about being uh, in my seventies and being able to, um, you know, to do the, do this kind of thing. Um, and and then in December of twenty nineteen, I got the strange uh, flu. Um, it it wasn't life threatening at any point, but I was congested. I had a fever. I was, um, comp- you know, just wiped out in terms of energy. I just I spent a lot of time in bed, just lying around and sleeping, and uh, um, and and had some of the same uh, digestive issues that I had when I had uh, IBS, and. And so I was, uh, I thought, I wonder what this is. It was going, it was, it was lasting for weeks at a time. I consulted my, my physician, um, uh, but I just, I figured, well, it's the flu it, it, and it'll go away eventually, which it eventually did, but it took about six weeks. And uh, the problem with saying I had long COVID is that that was December of 2019, the first official case in the United States wasn't registered until I think the end of January of mm. 2020. And um, in New York City, the first official case, I think, was in early February of 2020. And, um, and of course, there weren't any COVID tests at that time. There were, uh, And by the time there were even antigen tests, um, so many months had passed uh, since I'd had it that 
for most people, the antigens weren't showing up in these tests anyway. So I can't, <laughs> I can't prove that I had long COVID, but if I, you know, just telling anybody who's had COVID what I had, they'd say, oh, you had COVID. <laughs> yeah. so, if, so if I were the prosecutor, I'd rip you to shreds right now, right? Right, exactly. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh -huh. So, but, but I don't qualify for any kind of, of uh, study, really, um, because uh, I can't prove I had COVID. Um, but that's the case with almost everybody who had COVID in that first uh, trimester of months um, that uh, uh, in, in 2020. Uh, and it does as I understand it, perhaps a higher percentage of those folks have long COVID than, um, than in any other group. Mm -hmm. um, it was the, uh, before the, the virus had, had uh, changed uh, and perhaps become a little less uh, bad than it was right at the beginning. And it was killing a lot of people right at the beginning. So at any rate, um, uh, after I recovered, and it took a long time to recover that winter, I began, you know, I, I started having, uh, I, I started feeling more like my old self, the, the person who was running. And, but the strange thing was that as I, as I would exert myself, I would put myself back. I would become, I, I would be, get uh, uh, more fatigue, more brain fog, um, and uh, and have some unpleasant digestive consequences. And in the um, and eventually became clear as I was learning more. People were talking more about long COVID that I was suffering from what they call the post-exertional malaise, which is, I guess, doctor talk for feeling like crap. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> Methodist minister <laughs> talk. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, uh, I feel, um, uh, but, but that just went on. And I, and I didn't get what to do about that. Um, so, so here, here was this, yeah. um, this sort of six week, you know, sort of extreme setback, but a lot of us, you know, runners, people who have kind of, you know, put <clears throat> uh, training on our calendars and we're very acutely aware of like where I am, am I doing better than last month? I will keep charts. So, you know, we can get sick or we can sprain an ankle and we understand that there's a setback, but then we're all really eager to, okay, let me get back up. Oh, it's, the 10 minute mile is harder now. I can't go as hard, but I know how to get back. I know exactly. how to, I know how to climb the mountain again. And you were discovering yep. that every single time you worked out, instead of putting something into a deposit, it was actually another withdrawal. Exactly. Exactly. Cause, cause you, you're used to, you know, giving a hundred percent and it may not, as you say, it may not be what you were used, were able to do before the, the illness or the accident. But if if you do that every every time you go out, you can do more the next time. And this was working backwards. <laughs> it, it, I was worse off uh, by by exerting myself. 
And uh, I just really did not know what to do with that. Um, and there were times when this, this post-exertional malaise would go on for weeks at a time. I mean, I really was, um, I, I, I'd be down in, my, in bed for three, four or five days and then just not able to do much uh, for another five days. And then, and then gradually start feeling better. And then when I felt better, I, then I would go out and exert myself. <laughs> so how, and this, then the cycle would start. Yeah. yeah. So how, aside from your uh, athletic pursuits, how did the, this post-exertional malaise affect the rest of the, your life? Yeah, there's a big, a big piece of it um, was uh, brain fog. Um, the, um, um, I was, I was, uh, unable to concentrate. Um, I, I could do, I, I had about two good hours in the morning after I got up and I would do some writing and do some, some serious reading. Um, but as the day went on, I, I really just couldn't do a lot, uh, to think a lot. And, and that affected me, uh, especially because I wear two cochlear implants and, uh, which are wonderful. Um, but I basically hear by interpreting digital signals (laughs) that are, that are going into, uh, that are stimulating my cochlea, um, st- stimulating the auditory nerve inside the cochlea. And, and it took me several months uh, when I was first implanted to learn how for my brain to, to hear that as sound. And uh, it, it takes some energy um, on, the, on my brain's part to, to do that kind of hearing. So even under the best of circumstances, uh, long conversations or um, conversations with people in um, noisy environments um, are, are very tiring. And uh, in this, uh, uh, this, this just exacerbated that. So having a long conversation with, with Jackie, my wife, or with... Uh, uh, my children um, and grandchildren or friends, all of that would wear me out very quickly. It was also the period of time when everything was being done on Zoom and or, or you know, on some kind of video conferencing and um, even social things, <laughs> social gatherings. And that seemed to take even more energy. Uh, so I was uh, I was really debilitated um, by social interactions. Hmm. Yeah, and and, and, and yeah, yeah. And, and at a time when social interactions, like everybody, we were all like deprived of social interactions. And you know, I'm imagining that there were things that you know, well. Let's go for a couple of months. Like we can meet in the park, or we can right. be, we can be in a public, you know, a, a wide open space. And 
Like, that must have been hard for you to not be able to participate in those or, or get there and be so fatigued you couldn't experience it. Exactly. It was really hard. Yeah, it was, um, uh, it was lonely. And, and uh, um, so, yeah, we, that, that had, had been, that, that during especially the early days was, was, uh, it was very isolating. So when yeah. when did you yeah when did you start to um, wonder what was going on and start looking around because nobody you know nobody knew anything well, think, when you first had this experience. right right nobody knew anything at first and then I began to hear about um, long COVID uh, there's again the doctors have something about uh, sequential. <laughs> I, I, I can't even remember the the doctor term for SARS mm -hmm. COVID uh, uh, sequelae something or other, um, but uh, uh, I began to wonder in, in, as the summer as summer came of 2020, and um, I, I guess it was no no it was it was. Uh, it was later in the year because I was I was able to have a face to face conversation with my physician and asked him about it. And he didn't think there was such a thing. Mm. Um, uh, but then um, he 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 thought perhaps I was suffering from cognitive decline or something, given my age, especially. And sent me to a neurologist. How, how did it feel, how did it feel to hear that? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, my mom had Alzheimer's. Uh, both her sisters had Alzheimer's. Her mom, her mom, uh, my, my grandmother had Alzheimer's. So I, I was waking up every morning worried that I did indeed have cognitive decline and and his uh, um, his hunch uh, didn't didn't uh, relieve that anxiety. That's for sure. Mm. Um, but I went to the neurologist, and the neurologist said uh, gave me some tests. He said, "No, you don't. You don't have Alzheimer's." <laughs> he said, uh, and he said, "I see five to seven people a week." who are describing the same symptoms. And I, he says, we don't have any idea how to treat this. He says, we can throw some things at it. We can give you Ritalin, for example. But I wasn't ready for that. And he wasn't, he didn't think it was something, it was something he wanted to do if I did, <laughs> unless I really wanted it. So, but, but being told that, was incredibly helpful to have somebody in the wearing a white coat validate um, that whatever I had mm -hmm. isn't normal and and it isn't Alzheimer's um, and uh, uh, and I'm not crazy and so that's. Um, that that was really really helpful, 
Mm. So when when did you first hear about this thing called long COVID? Well, it was it was in that time, and that was, a, that was what I was you know, I was asking my physician about and asking the neurologist about. And uh, again, the neurologist validated that he he says there's something out there, and. Uh, Again, this is New York City, and he was seeing, as I said, he's, he, as he said, he was seeing several people a week um, who have had similar symptoms. So the, they were beginning to see um, a, a syndrome, and, um, and it was beginning to be in the newspapers and that sort of thing. So that was, that was how I really... Uh, encountered it was through the press uh, that um, people were talking about this that they 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 had long they had COVID they got over it and but the, but three four six months later they were still suffering from a lot of the same symptoms and um, and so um, I began to become part of um, online communities that discussed long COVID. Um, and especially um, people who were um, looking at research into long COVID and really spent a lot of time uh, on that, um, it, just just looking at videos and and reading um, papers by people who who were studying long COVID. Mm -hmm. So um, I, th I imagine in the, you know in these <clears throat> communities at first, like like there's still a lot of controversy around long COVID. There's articles that have come out in the past <clears throat> couple of months saying that maybe it's not really a thing, or almost nobody has it, or it's not as big a deal. Like, what was the tenor of those communities that are saying, like, we've got something and there's no mainstream acknowledgement of it? Well, I, 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 there, there, are, there were some communities, especially Facebook groups, that I did not find helpful because people were, you know, complaining, but there wasn't anybody offering any kind of help really it was just oh yeah we get you which is helpful to some people it wasn't helpful to me yeah. um i uh, um what i what i discovered was that there were there were people in different medical disciplines who were looking at it through the lenses of their particular discipline um there were um specialists in blood who were finding microclots there were people who were finding um, um, uh, parts of, of the, the original virus still in the gut. Um, uh, there were people, uh, especially uh, neurologists, who were, who were discovering that the brain was, in many people, uh, kind of uh, overreacting to... Uh, to things so, so so it was beginning to look like an autoimmune disease it was beginning to look like uh, something left over from from the virus itself um, and uh, and and just being a layperson I couldn't 
I couldn't necessarily evaluate all these arguments, but what I was what I was getting over time was that what I could do for myself probably had to deal with dealing with healing my gut. Mm. <laughs> that that apparently the gut is the first line of of protection in the immune system. And because I had damaged my gut so much uh, through the years and wound up with irritable bowel syndrome, um, I still had I, I still had a long ways to go to make make my gut as healthy as possible. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, you you approached it, you know, looking looking at the gut and at food. Was that was that a common thing? I mean, I, you know, because I imagine when when Western medicine doesn't have something for a group of people, they can get very creative about <laughs> trying things. I'm wondering what, what was what were some of the other things before we get to what you did and what and, and how it uh-huh. worked. I'm like curious, like what other thing, you know, because we know there was, you know, ivermectin and, and bleach and all sorts of right, stuff. Right. What was like, what were yeah. some of the, the putative cures um, being bandied around in these groups? Well, there were there were um, uh, people who were suggesting a kind of running running the, your blood through a filter of some sort apparently there was this was being done in Europe especially in Germany and that would clean cleanse it of the microclots and um uh there were people who had this done and were saying yeah, this seemed to help mm. um there were um there were a lot of people and and these were these were serious researchers. They weren't they weren't just people who were trying to make a buck, mm-hmm. um, who were talking about dysfunctions of the autonomic nervous system, uh, because a lot of people and I had some of this uh, where uh, they they were not their their balance was off. Uh, they they uh, you know, when you stand up you. You feel like you're fainting, that kind of thing. Um, and so there were people who were trying to teach people how to, how to live with that and maybe, and maybe make that more functional. Um, the, the, um, um, there, there were experiments and, and continued to be experiments with Paxlovid and, and, uh, Riddle and some of the other some of the other um, uh, drugs that are out there, um, but um, none of, none of that kind of leaped out as as something. First of all, that I could even do um, just uh, just a few people in a few places were working on this, and they were they had more patients than they could handle, and. Um, so I think I think partly focusing on the gut was just because it's available. <laughs> Anybody can do it. Uh-huh. So what what did you what did you know or think or believe about what you could do for your gut? Um, I I had had really good experiences with uh, plant based uh, eating um, in healing my irritable bowel syndrome. And, um, and I was, I'm very, very fortunate 
to be married to somebody who cares an awful lot about health and has studied as much as she possibly can about how to be healthy and uh, has gotten into the, especially the whole foods, plant-based community and, um, um, you know, has read, read books by Dr. Esselstyn and, and Colin Campbell, who I think you know pretty well, and and other um, kinds of uh, uh, folks in that in that community. And they, um, one of the things that I did for the irritable bowel syndrome that seemed to help also with the long COVID was drink um, green smoothies um, because it's an easy way to to hyper nourish. Uh, my body um, and followed a lot of advice from Dr. Brooke Goldner uh, about that. So, um, and so all of that seemed to help. It didn't make, it wasn't a cure, but it was, I felt like I was, I was feeling better by doing those kinds of things. Mm. So, um, how much? How much better? <laughs> like, what did you notice? Uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a that's a really that's a tough question because I I uh, through uh, that first year uh, of uh, 2020, 2021, um, I guess those first couple of years, I very gradually got uh, better enough better. So that I was doing a little bit of running and uh, um, and some home, you know, um, basic uh, uh, body weight training uh, for strength. Um, but then I, uh, we, my son had us to his house for uh, for to celebrate his mom's birthday in November of. 2021, and we uh, uh, and he and he had a, a a new bottle of whiskey, and I drank I, I drank a small glass of whiskey, which I hadn't I hadn't had any alcohol in in, in a very long time, <laughs> and and uh, and I was terribly sick uh, the next day. And for some reason, that seemed to really that took me all the way back to where I was um, the previous year, and and so I uh, um, and and so I went through all the the steps that I was I had been doing, um, and um, the um, I guess that was in twenty. 2020, because in 2021, in December, yeah, December of 2021, I I went to um, um, to True North Health Center and and did a uh, 20-day fast, and uh, and that uh, that took away that 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 finally took away some of the worst of the of the digestive issues and began to heal my stomach. Mm. <clears throat> so tw a 20 day fast. 
Um, yeah. So when yeah. You, you know, when, yeah. When, when you reached out to them, you know, I know they have a, they have a long research history on you know high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. I know um, <clears throat> you know Colin Campbell's wife Karen went into remission of a cancer. Um, they didn't know much. I mean, nobody knew much about COVID. Did they say we can help you, or we think we can, or give it a try, or do they try to dissuade you? It's one of the best best conversations I ever had, Doctor uh, Goldhammer. Uh, talked to me before I went and um, I told him what I was dealing with. And he said, um, well, we can try it. If it works, we can pretend we knew what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> how'd, you, how'd you feel uh, when you heard that? Um, did that inspire confidence or the opposite? It, it actually did. I thought, okay, this guy is not, he, this guy is the real deal. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's perfectly honest. And, uh, um, and, and it did, it, it made a, it made a big difference in, uh, uh, at, at the first level, which was um, the digestive issues that I was having. I just, uh, I just had diarrhea a lot with so many different things that were setting it off, uh, including that small glass of whiskey. And, and uh, I, uh, uh, so I, um, and, and the fasting really seemed to take care of that. Uh, it did not take care of the fatigue and it did not take care of the brain fog. Mm. But the, but the diarrhea had pretty much disappeared. Gotcha. So how did it end up being 20 days? Was that the plan from the beginning or was it a, sort of a day by day? Assessment? Well, it was, a, that, was a, that was kind of the plan from the beginning, but also a day by day assessment at True North. They, uh, you're visited by uh, a physician every morning and by a, um, uh, somebody who takes your vitals every day. Um, and, and usually somebody takes your vitals in the afternoon as well. And so there's a um, constant, you're constantly um, uh, observed um, as you're going through this fast. And, and in this fast, uh, I didn't, I just drank water. Um, and uh, I had, at that time, I had some weight to lose. Uh, not a lot of weight, but but some, and um, I uh, uh, and so I made it uh, through that uh, uh, twenty day twenty day fast. Uh, it was tough at the end, uh, but I, I I did make it. Uh -huh. um, it's a it's it's not easy. <laughs> uh, well, what's it, what's it like? Well, it's. It's mostly a um, it's 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 mostly um, lying around a lot because you don't have any energy. Uh, some people do. Um, some people have um, because they have enough weight uh, to lose. Their they go their bodies go into ketosis and. I think that's the right term, and and they um, uh, 
they're burning that fat and it ha- provides every gram of fats worth, um, you know, lots of energy. And uh, I guess nine calories of energy, I think, if I remember correctly. And so uh, it, uh, so they have quite a lot of energy. I didn't, mm. I didn't experience that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, my wife had done this, had, had done the uh, fast um, uh, about a year earlier. And so she had a good experience. And, and so that was, that was why I did it. Gotcha. So, you know, we're talking about sort of the <clears throat> physical aspects. Um, but, you know, it, cer- it certainly must have been a, an emotional roller coaster as well. What were you, were you happy about the True North outcome the first time or, or disappointed that you still? I was, I was, I was really happy with the outcome and I felt, um, um uh, uh, yeah i i felt like it was it was worth it i was disappointed uh and discouraged by the fact that i still had this post exertional malaise i wasn't able to um to get myself uh rebuilt and um it was and I was working with you as a coach um as uh and and I had come across a, a strategy that was being within this community of people who are dealing with long COVID that was being um, uh, recommended, which was uh, called pacing, um, and and it m- means trying to dis- discern what about eighty percent of full exertion would be. And to stay within that, and to um, and to uh, not not push to a hundred percent, and that did help in uh, allowing me to do some things, um, uh, be somewhat active, but um, and not and not put myself back um, into real terrible fatigue and brain fog mm-hmm. um the the days afterwards um and but that wasn't that was not easy and i as i said uh, working with you helped a lot in terms of trying to discern that but it's but it's not an easy thing to do yeah well it, you know in our work together <clears throat> my sense of you was that you know when when somebody is living in poverty they spend a lot of their time thinking about money in ways that people who have more money don't. And it kind of felt that like that way with your energy, like you were constantly spending mental energy, figuring out how to <laughs> parse and save and spend your energy. Exactly. That's a, that is exactly the, the, the truth I've done. <laughs> I was, I, I have lived in poverty and I know, I know exactly what that's like. And I know that, uh, uh and you're right. It's, it, I was, um, I was constantly thinking about how much how much does this cost me in terms of of terms of my energy um, thinking ahead um, th- that I might we might have a family gathering for example and so the day before I would 
I would take it easy. I wouldn't go for a walk. I would, I would uh, lie down and take naps uh, through the day and uh, perhaps take a nap earlier in the day before the family gathering, just so I would have the energy to be present with my family. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was, it was constantly, I was constantly doing that. Yeah. So, so as, as a Methodist minister, was there any sort of conversations with divinity around this, whether, you know, in Elizabeth Kubler-Ross <laughs> sort of five stages of, you know, bargaining, denial, anger? Um, <clears throat> you know, yeah, it's uh, the, the uh, yeah, and, and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was, was the first to admit that those were artificial stages. Yeah. <laughs> people go into them and then come back out of them and try again. I mean, it's, and that was, yeah, there was, it, it's the whole thing has been a, uh, a really uh, challenging and helpful in some ways in terms of spiritual growth. Uh, looking back on it now, um, the, I have had to let go of uh, images of myself um, as a you know as a how how active I am um, uh, I, I've had to wrestle with the social um, cultural idea of what it means to age mm. um, because it, one of the temptations has been to just say, ah, I'm just getting old, and there's no cure for that, and um, um, I just, I'm just going to lie around for the rest of my life. Um, and that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a dangerous temptation, a hard one to, to uh, wrestle with. Um, the, um, I, I just came across something I wrote in my journal, uh, in the midst of that time that there's the temptations are the three S's the, the, um, to be, uh, selfish, separate and sad. Hmm. Um, and I think anyone dealing with, with a chronic illness has to, has to work on that those temptations and the the counters to those temptations if i remember correctly are um connection um compassion and um um gratitude i think but it, it was i thought there were three c's but i can't <laughs> i can't come up with but gratitude is certainly a a, a synonym right <laughs> um, I mean, when I, you know, when I see those three words together, selfish, separate and sad, that kind of reminds me of our culture, right? That the, the yeah. long COVID yeah, is, yeah. is kind of an extreme visitation, you know, like the, pl- yeah. the plague, the plague isn't that different from the base state. It, it's really true. And, um, and I think, um, uh, and I wonder at times whether the uh, 
whether long COVID is is a, a symptom of a larger uh, ill health in the culture. Um, the poet and writer Wendell Berry says that the um, the the real measure of health is the health of an entire community, mm. and and um, um, and it's not just individuals within that community. It's and it's not just people in that community. It's it's all the living things in the community, and um, and I think I think that a lot of what is going on in our culture, um, including the gun violence and high rates of suicide, high rates of deaths by despair, all of that probably can be traced really back to those three three S's, um, and especially the idea of separation. Uh, our emphasis on individualism has not has not served us well. Yeah. So as as you were you know, coming to these spiritual realizations through this wrestling and you know, especially around the separateness, you, you, know, you have mm -hmm. a disease that is a condition that is keeping you separate because you don't have the energy to engage. We're in a, a you know, prolonged lockdown of one sort or another where social things have stopped happening. How did you seek connection in those under those circumstances? Um, well, I um, th that's a that's a really good question because when when I was really suffering from the malaise of brain fog and fatigue and and digestive stuff, um, I just I really didn't want to be around people. And and uh, uh, but I knew that wasn't wasn't good for me. So I did. Uh, uh, and my wife and I, I'm again, I give so much credit to my wife, uh, Jackie, because she is um, she's a wonderful community builder. And we. Uh, uh, we had just moved here to New York, so uh, it was. We'd only lived here for about a year and a half before I got I got long COVID. But but in that time, we built some communities. Uh, we had a meditation group that we met with every week. Uh, we joined a church. Um, we uh, I had our 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 family that already lived here. And, um, and my daughter-in-law is a is a rabbi, <laughs> so she had a community, that, her congregation, um, that we were also part of, and I still are a part of. And um, so we knew quite a lot of people. And um, again, using Zoom uh, in those early, that lockdown time, we uh, we kept up with a lot of those folks and um um and i did i did prioritize as much as i could the 
those times of connection with mm-hmm. with family and friends. Um, we um, um, and as things opened up and we were able to meet face to face with people, we've we've maintained those communities. It's really important uh, to have communities, and uh, and again, I think our individualism. It's summed up in the book title "Bowling Alone," you know, is a a um, has not served us well. I think we have not created a culture where there are a lot of places for people to find community, and uh, um, whereas when I was growing up, a lot of people belonged to bowling leagues, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and 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 just just that uh, kind of thing. It meant that people had communities. They had friends. They had people who looked for them every week and and uh, and and wanted to keep up with each other's stories. And it's so so. Um, yeah, I think I think the loneliness and the loneliness that I know so many are are experiencing with long COVID and with other chronic illnesses is is a is partly a function of the way our 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 culture is functioning. Hmm. So um, this isn't the end of your health story yet, right? So, so no, so, right. That's so correct. Let's continue That's continue correct. after you know after you came back from True North in December twenty twenty one. Your gut symptoms mm-hmm. are much better, but there's still the bullet brain fog and post-exertional malaise. So take take us mm-hmm. take us forward in time. So um, I um, through twenty twenty one, I I kept trying to do uh, more physically, um, take hikes with with Jackie and. And, uh, but there were, I was still not able to do nearly as much as I wanted to do. And I still was running out of, uh, energy, uh, in the late afternoon, early evening, and I'd have to go to bed. And, um, I, I realize that even more now than I did then, that I was still struggling with brain fog. I wasn't thinking as clearly. I didn't, it was harder for me to do. Uh, to to write, it was harder for me to be a um, uh, to be really engaged in conversations um, and in uh, problem solve all of that kind of thing. Um, and then <laughs> a very odd thing happened. We actually made this decision to go, we we decided to go back to True North, both of us, Jackie and I. Uh, so we made made. Um, reservations for March of 2023, just just two months ago. Um, but in that time, uh, Yom Kippur happened, and Yom Kippur um, is the Jewish is a Jewish holiday on which uh, Jews who observe it fast. They fast for 24 hours from the evening before Yom Kippur until the end of the services on the evening of Yom Kippur. And I was going to go to my daughter-in-law's services, so I decided to fast. And the day after Yom Kippur, 
I felt so much better. Mm. And I thought, huh, I wonder what that's about. And so the next week, I tried another 24-hour fast. And I felt better. <laughs> and after a couple of weeks, I was doing a couple of fasts a week. Um, uh, to and, and that was improving. And so I was um, very much uh, excited about about doing the fast at uh, another fast at, at True North Health Center. Uh, again, that that was largely uh, because Jackie kept kept suggesting that since it worked somewhat the first time, it might be really good for me the second time. So uh, we went uh, to True North in uh, in March, um, just a couple of months ago. And I did a 10-day fast. I couldn't do longer because I didn't, uh, my, my weight was not, uh, I was just, I was still, I was in the normal range at that point. And, and uh, by the time 10 days were over, I was close to uh, being underweight. So uh, they, they had looked at me and said, 10 days is probably all, all you can do. And it was. Um, and um, uh, but that seems to have uh, completely taken care of the brain fog. I I don't know about uh, the fatigue yet because um, just fasting to that point um, in terms of my body weight and everything. Um, left leaves my body with a kind of depletion of energy just because it takes some time to rebuild and uh, the refeeding time after after the the, the fasting and uh, um, and they said it, it would be two two three four months probably before I would really know what my my energy is now but six, I think it's six or seven weeks now since that fast ended, I am, uh, I'm quite encouraged by, by the, um, by the amount of energy I have. And I, I do not have brain fog. I still get very tired at night, um, and go to bed early, but I, I, I do not have, uh, the, the sense that I can't process things that I can't hold a conversation um, or and uh, I never have a sense no matter what I do on one day that that I've that, that I've hurt myself the next day that that I don't have any carryover uh, in terms of a malaise mm -hmm. that um, I had before gotcha gotcha so what do you what do you as you look back now? I know you're the you know the the journey is not over, and we don't know where it's going. But as you look mm -hmm. back now, like what 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 are the what are your takeaways? Um, <laughs> don't get COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Although I did have a second, I did have a second bout of COVID. Um, in in early September and and it did and that took me about four weeks uh, to get over, um, but that did not seem to make anything worse. Uh, I, um, but I, I did test positive for COVID. Um, 
the um, um, I, I think I think the the wisdom that I gained from having a chronic illness is that uh, one one thing that I really did I hope learn is um, that my worth is in being a human being rather than a human doing. Mm. Um, I, there was, there were long stretches, uh, in the past couple of years where I really couldn't do anything. I couldn't, I couldn't contribute to the housework. Uh, I couldn't, um, really do, um, I do some volunteer work, uh, especially with people who are considering cochlear implants and, and, I, I couldn't do the kinds of things that I that gave my life meaning and purpose, uh, and and yet um, I'd wake up in the morning and say, yeah, I still there's still some reason I'm here and I'm okay. Um, uh, I'm okay even if I'm not uh, producing anything. Mm. Um, and um, so that's a, that's that's an important lesson, and and not an easy lesson to learn, and it's not an easy lesson to keep hold of. Um, yeah, and I guess especially as being the, in a service profession. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where everybody else's needs. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, and that that takes me to the to another thing is paying attention to my own needs and and in a sense, um, you know, following the the instructions of the airline stewardess and put my own mask on first. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a there's a uh, uh, the, there's a sense in which we have to take care of ourselves first. Um, I've always seen that up until now as as kind of an excuse for a lot of selfie survey yeah. <laughs> kind of kind of living. But in fact, uh, if it's done for the right reasons and and uh, done with discernment, um, it it leads. You can't really treat other people any better than you treat yourself. And and uh, neglecting my own health, um, getting angry and frustrated with myself because I couldn't do things just meant that I treated the people around me the same way. And and uh, I really needed to learn. um, And I've needed to learn that for a long time. I've needed to learn how to be kinder to myself so they could be kinder to others. Mm. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big, a big, big reason. Wow. To, to, yeah. Wow. Well, I, I kind of have the impulse to, to leave it there. Let, let that be the, the thought that, uh, that's, that sounds good to me. Yeah. Take yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah. Any, I mean, got any plans or, Things you know up as you as you look towards the future. Anything you know exciting or definite? Well, it, that's another thing I've learned is uh, at this point 
uh, I haven't been able to trust myself to say, I, I plan to do this particular thing on this particular day. Uh, just recently, I've begun to do that. And uh, um, it did take, for example, I had to, we had to get to California in order, get from New York City to California in order to go to True North. And that was, and then get back. Mm -hmm. And that took a while. That was driving, uh, right? not, but not I, flying. Yeah, yeah, we were driving, exactly. And, um, and Jackie did all the driving. Um, but, uh, uh, but it was, um, uh, it still, that still took a lot. So I'm beginning to believe I can do some things, but I haven't really sat down and said, these are the things that I plan to do in the next six months, uh -huh. or this is my bucket list or whatever. Uh, in fact, getting, letting go of that and just saying, okay, let's see how I am tomorrow. Uh, if I'm, if I feel okay to do it, I'll, I'll do X. Um, it doesn't mean I don't have some things that I'd like to do, mm -hmm. uh, but it, but it is, uh, I'm doing more writing and I'm doing uh, more walking and more um, uh, engaging with other people. Mm -hmm. And right now that seems that, that that's good stuff. Right. Is any of your writing published publicly available for folks or is it all journal form right now? No, I'd say I, I have a blog. Um, oh. Yeah. Are you willing to share that? It's uh, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, fear not online. All one word fear not online dot org and dot uh, org. And uh, uh, it's, it, it's, I publish occasionally and, and, um, uh, and the, the focus of it has been, <laughs> I call it the third half of life. Yeah. Um, because, uh, we have, uh, the, the people like me nowadays, uh, are living I mean, I've had my three score and 10 um, years of life. And and now I've got, um, I'm in my 70s. So everything is is kind of a, uh, a third part of life, a third chapter. And, uh, um, and I think a lot of us aren't even thinking about aging until we get almost to those, those years. And... Uh, so anyway, a lot of it's about about how do you live a full life and a meaningful life um, in, in, after after sixty. <laughs> uh, third half of life, I love that. Uh, I'm only, I'm two yeah. years away, so it's time to start thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, you know, I'm yeah, I'm kind of hoping that I, I can learn these lessons through you and I don't have to learn them for myself. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. 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 I, I had my last church. I had so many people who were in their 80s and even in 90s. And I, I said I had a postgraduate course in aging as a, as a pastor mm -hmm. in that church. You know? And uh and, and many good examples and also many examples of what not to do. So that's uh, uh, 
that that was that was helpful to me. Well, Roger, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story so so openly and thoughtfully. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is this has been delightful. I I, I always get so much out of having a conversation with you. Anyway. <laughs> well, thanks. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go finish up my stuff. So um, it's great great catching up. Great hearing this this kind of leisurely full arc. There's a, there's a, you know having talked to you for a long time now in these conversations, I'm surprised at how much I did not know. So I'm glad we kind of got to have a, a leisurely expansive conversation. Yeah, this has been great. Yeah, I love doing this. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks no. again. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. And that's a wrap. So I've had some requests from folks wanting to, me to talk about uh, my new life. You know, this was this uh, this is probably the last episode of the podcast where you'll see my old familiar North Carolina blue background from my little studio, Sun Studio shed office. Um, now we are in an apartment for we rented for a year in a, a small beach town south of Barcelona, Spain. So I guess instead of, you know, garden news, maybe I can talk about uh, Spanish news or uh, kind of expat trying to fit in, discover things. Um, so I'm going to have to sort of think, think more about that and what's, what's worth sharing. But just a little bit of background. We sold our house uh, at the end of May, and uh, May 28th flew to Madrid, took a train the next day to Barcelona, had been uh, living out of temporary quarters, think sort of Airbnb for digital nomads. And we've just... We were looking for a place that was kind of vibrant and close to the big city, but not quite so loud, quite so urban, <laughs> you know, living uh, in rural North Carolina for nine years and then in suburban North Carolina for nine years before that and suburban New Jersey for 13 years before that. Um, neither, neither of us is uh, city people, but, you know, we, we, we told our nervous systems to kind of give us a break, cut some slack and... We think we found a place that's a good mixture. It does get loud at night with all sorts of weird noises uh, on the street. And electricity is quite expensive, so we're trying to keep down the air conditioning also to, you know, save the planet. Although if, if it's warming, I don't understand why air conditioning just doesn't, you know, keep the windows open, run the air conditioner and just cool the planet. I do understand that that doesn't work. I was making a little, a little attempt at humor there. Um, but, you know... Two in the morning, the big truck comes and picks up all the um, garbage and recycling containers. That, that's a fun noise that we haven't gotten used to yet. Around five or six in the morning, the trucks come and make deliveries for the greengrocer and the, the little um, convenience stores and, and small markets up and down the street. There are some bars not too far. We're pretty near the beach and the ocean. So you'll hear, you know, people talking quite loudly. Um, and then, you know, people eat here until 11, 11.30 at night. That's not uncommon for just people to be walking home talking then. So we're getting used to it. We, all, we got some uh, foam earplugs and I just bought some eye masks at Amazon.es, which is the Spanish Amazon. And we're trying to figure out, you know, the new routines so here in this new place where we've been since Saturday, I set up 
an office with you know a nice camera. I'm working on the lighting. Um, it's getting quite hot in here because I have all the windows and doors closed so that I can cut out some traffic noise. Um, so you know the, the the likely suspects for for um, exercise for movement include running. Um, there's there's a fair amount of beaches here, and beach running is such a bitch, so tiring um, that you know my mind is like, well, I've got to run for an hour to get anything out of it. But really, like a hundred yards on the beach, and I am toast. So just you know, maybe doing ten of those for a while could actually build up my my cardio and my leg muscles better than you know the six mile jogs. Uh, there are also lots and lots of groups of people doing outdoor exercises, whether it's yoga on a jetty or a bunch of older people in the water doing calisthenics or groups doing qigong uh, or the more like intense CrossFit stuff with one trainer yelling at people who are like, you know, really pounding it out and sweating. So there's lots of those opportunities as well. Honestly, I'm still exhausted. So I'm getting up early, 6.30 or 7, doing some qigong, walking, running, and then I typically nap from 10 to 11 in the morning. And I'm just trying to get back into, into various routines. So I think that's what I'm going to share for now. Um, anybody who wants to come visit, if you're planning on coming to Barcelona, let me know. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning about where the good uh, health food is, the good vegan food, and not necessarily the same. And I'm also, you know, 20 yards away from this beautiful greengrocer. So it's kind of nice to like not have a lot of stuff in the fridge and the freezer and just decide that day as I'm walking past, oh, that head of broccoli looks good, those mangoes, uh, a few cherries, and like that's dinner. So it's, it's a very different way of being. I don't have my Vitamix, I don't have my Instant Pot, I don't have my air fryer, I don't have my food processor. Um, so it's, it's, it's an exploration in, in change and simplicity. And hopefully, you know, as I, as I get these extra hours of sleep, I'll kind of bring my energy back up to where I can, I can really start exploring. I'm doing about an hour a day of uh, Duolingo right now, just trying to get some Spanish vocabulary in preparation from going out and doing some meetups and live classes. And uh, so... Uh, Love to hear your thoughts. If anybody else is in Spain or Barcelona, uh, I would love some, you know, to meet you and get some advice and uh, understand how this, this land works. So uh, wishing you all the best.